Hi, and welcome to Two Sober Chicks. I'm Lisa. This is our podcast series, and this is edition number three from January 8th, 2023. Our speaker today is me, uh, my home group, A Solution Seekers Beginners Meeting. Hi, everybody. My name is Lisa, and uh, I am a grateful alcoholic beyond great job. Uh, and great job to everybody in the background who's helping run this meeting and keeping it safe. Um, this meeting is only a couple of weeks old. Uh, many of us have uh, been together at other meetings, though, and so we're familiar with each other and quite comfortable and relaxed. But I do see a lot of new faces in here today, which is very, very exciting. Somebody even from the North Pole in Alaska. That's pretty cool. Um, uh, I am really grateful to, it's interesting, the pandemic, <laughs> because without the pandemic, um, I never would have found Zoom, I never would have found online meetings, and therefore, I never would have found any of you. Um, and because of those, you know, dire circumstances that uh, caused a lot of upheaval in our lives, um, therein lies a silver lining, you know. Uh, just something so wonderful has come out of something kind of atrocious. And um, I find that that is one of the great differences in my life today, that I can look at um, dire circumstances, bad situations, and I have the ability today to change my perception, my attitude, and my outlook. And it is all thanks to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 Steps, the 12 traditions, the 12 concepts, and uh, a higher power, and my sponsor. I probably should have put higher power first. Uh, <laughs> and that's what I'm still a work in progress. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about uh, um, what I was like. So um, I was the type of person who was, um, there was no serenity in calamity. <laughs> There was just a lot of calamity. Um, and uh, I was a, a victim that was victimized by the circumstances of my life. That's how I felt. Uh, I felt hard done by. Um, I felt a lot of if only, you know, if only this, if only I had uh, not been born gay, if only I had been, you know, prettier or uh, a little thinner or richer, things would have been better. Uh, if only my parents had have behaved differently. Um, if only bad things hadn't have happened to me as a child, then life would be okay. Uh, and then what did I do? Uh, in my later years, I would find alcohol and drugs to cope with all the feelings of uh, regret um, and bitterness, and envy, and jealousy, um, hatred, uh, all, all these awful feelings that we identify in the fourth step called character defects, <laughs> judgment, you name it. I have a long list. Um, I, I, will, I will also tell you, too, I just finished a 12-hour shift. I'm on night shift this week. So I know Lisa from Texas can relate to shift work. Uh, yes. So I just finished working. 
I'm uh, a little bit tired and I, I feel like my head's in a little bit of a fog, so I might jump all over the place. Um, alcoholism took me to some really dark places. Uh, sometimes I made out with men. You know, that goes over really well in a large room when you're speaking and you're the obvious lesbian at the front of the room and you say that joke gets a big laugh from the crowd. Uh, <laughs> it took me to a lot uh, more dark places, though, I'm sure uh, a lot of you can relate. Um, that was just one of the silly ways that I would act out. You know, it just goes to show, too, that I was willing to go to any lengths to get a free drink. Uh, <laughs> you know, ladies night, ooh, free booze. <laughs> Um, yes, I might be your girlfriend for an hour, uh, as long as there's liquor involved and maybe some drugs. Um, so definitely took me to some dark places and I behave badly. Um, liquor was my solution for the longest time. So let me go back a little bit. Um, I am a, uh, I am a childhood trauma survivor. Um, I was abducted, uh, by a pedophile at the age of five and, um, and then uh, I'm also a uh, survivor of uh, incest uh, from my older brother, who's about eight years older than I am. I come from a family of five children. Uh, nobody in my family except for my brother and I knew that situation until many, many, many years later. And I'm not going to go into details. The only reason I share that with you is because if you are anything like me, you come in thinking and come in but to AA thinking you don't have my problems. You don't know what it's like to be me. If you had my problems, you'd drink and you'd use drugs too. And that was the excuse that I had for years, that the things that had happened to me in my childhood were a justification, a justification of why I drank the way I drank. And that, that somehow made it okay, right? That somehow justified it. Um, so that's the only reason why I will mention that. Uh, also growing up, uh, I discovered in high school that I was gay, which made me different. I felt from pretty much everybody around me. What do they say? Only 10% of the population, uh, is gay. That's a pretty small percentage of the population. So I felt pretty different. Um, plus I also grew up in a religious household, um, where I was taught to believe that that was definitely what was wrong with me. Uh, therefore I wasn't accepted. I was less than, um, and when I did finally have the courage to come out uh, at 25 years of age, so I carried that secret for a really long time, um, my mother recoiled from me as if I was a hot flame. <laughs> flaming hot, flaming, you know, little gay joke there for you. Uh, but yes, she <laughs> really uh, couldn't handle it. Um, so much so that her response to me telling her this big secret uh, and seeking love, uh, her response was, I wish you told me you'd had cancer. Because at least cancer, you can cut out with a knife. You know, she was looking for a cure for me. Uh, and I can't think of anything that could hurt more. Um, one of the things that I've always been seeking in life is to um, be loved, be one of. Um, be liked. And uh, that is a difficult thing for an alcoholic. I think a lot of alcoholics are like that. We want to be liked. We want to be one of the crowd. Um, and so we do things and we learn coping mechanisms. 
which when we come into Alcoholics Anonymous, we learn later are character defects. You know, these are our natural instincts of survival. You know, um, I changed who I was a lot. I didn't even begin to know who I was until I was 45 years of age because I had changed myself so many times in so many ways, trying to please other people just to get that love. Um, and, but that doesn't make me a victim because I was also a person who uh, was self-centered and self-seeking. So that's a little bit of what I was like, um, self-centered, self-seeking. I wanted things to go my way. And so what do you do when you want things to go your way? You lie. You manipulate. I love the gentle way we call it today. We say we're a people pleaser. Well, that's a nice, fancy, dressed up way of saying you're a liar because I'm lying to myself. If I'm doing things to please other people to get what I want, I'm lying to myself and I'm lying to them. These are things that I've learned in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I have a sponsor, and some people might say that he's pretty tough. I remember when I would tell other women that my sponsor would say, um, Lisa, your thoughts and feelings are what's wrong with you. That's your problem. And to me, I was like, he's right. That makes sense. But to other ladies in my life, they would be like, oh, he's so mean. That's horrible. Now, he's honest. <laughs> Because that is actually inherently my problem, is the way I think. And uh, I, I'm a firm believer today that my thinking causes my feelings. So I today, because of the program and the 12 steps, I can start to feel a certain way. Let's say I'm feeling self-pity. Um, but if I catch it, if I catch it in time, I can change the way I think about that situation. And the self-pity starts to diminish. It starts to get a little smaller. And I don't stay stuck. I was a person who stayed stuck for decades. And nobody could hold a grudge like Lisa could hold a grudge. <laughs> I could hold a grudge and, you know, you were dead to me. I cut you out. Uh, I could have been a member of the Sopranos. Um, I, that's how deeply. I would carry a grudge. Um, you know, so things are different because of the program for me today. So what happened? Um, the catalyst for me was I was in a relationship. Uh, the relationship had really started to go south about two years in. Um, and we were together for a total of 10 years. 10 years. Not looking good by year two. <laughs> But like a true alcoholic, <laughs> I am going to make that square peg fit into the that round hole if it's the last thing I do. And why? Part of the reason is because I don't know who I am. I don't really love myself. So how can I expect other people to? So I've got to hang on to this one. Because I'd had so many relationships by this point. I felt like this was my last, you know, my last kick at the can, my last hope. Um, she also had a child from a previous relationship. So for me, it was like, woo, instant family, just add water. Um, I, have a, I have a partner and I have a kid. This is incredible. Um, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't ready to be a parent. I mean, sometimes I think who is? 
Um, but it was a wonderful learning experience. I just got off FaceTime with them actually yesterday. We had a beautiful FaceTime for about an hour and a half. Yeah, that's right. My ex and my kid and I FaceTime still. Ah, let me tell you, <laughs> that was a long time coming because um, I remember when I had this bitter resentment when we did finally break up after 10 years and I was um, seeing her around the city date other people and it drove me nuts. Um, so crazy that when we split up, I moved across the street into an apartment building across the street and I would go and walk my dog to the far end of the property because that's where I could get the best angle to look up into the window to see if I could see who was over there. And I used to fight and argue about, I'm not crazy. You know how they talk about the insanity of our thinking? That offended me. How dare you say I'm insane? That's freaking crazy behavior, people. <laughs> I was basically stalking my ex under the guise of walking my dog. Um, so, you know, I would go and I would look and I would see what she was doing and what she was up to all the time. Insane and crazy behavior. I have no idea where I was going with that part of the story. So we might just veer off in a different direction. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm just highlighting how crazy I was and my thinking. Uh, oh, yes. So I had a lot of difficulty getting over the loss of this relationship, even though the reason we broke up was because we both weren't feeling loved anymore. We both weren't getting our needs met. We were both unhappy. And being the genius that I am, I said, uh, you know, I put an ultimatum out there on the table. Manipulation. Why did I do that? Because I was hoping to manipulate the situation to get what I wanted, which was more attention, more sex, more my way, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and I said, you know, if things don't change, I'm moving out. And her response was, okay. That sounds like a good plan. Damn, I'm a terrible poker player. So I had to follow through on that bluff and move out. Um, so a lot of bitter resentment. Um, and my, my sponsor, when I took this to my sponsor, my sponsor said something crazy. And it was, you need to pray for her. I was like, what? Kind of, thank God I'm not paying you for this advice because it sucks. All right. Uh, but I'd been taught that you do what you're told <laughs> your sponsor gives you a suggestion and you do it. So, okay, I'm going to pray for her. So please forgive me for those of you who are sensitive, but I'm going to be honest and tell you exactly how I prayed. So for the next two weeks, I prayed because it says on page five, five, two, we pray for other people, right? I didn't bother reading exactly the definition and explanation of how I was supposed to pray. So here was my prayer. Dear God, please give that effing bitch everything she deserves. Amen. And I was expecting change and nothing changed. So my sponsor talked to me two weeks later and he's like, so how you feeling? I'm like, pretty much the same, still hater. And uh, he's like, well, have you been doing what I suggested? I said, yeah. He goes, what have you been praying? So I told him and he, when he was done laughing, he said, okay, maybe I should be a little bit more specific with you. So you need some clearer instructions. So what he said was, you need to pray for her to have everything that you wanted the two of you to have together. Wow. That hurt. Felt like he punched me in the face. Um, but I did it. I started to pray for her to have um, uh, honesty, love, 
companionship, compassion, empathy, understanding, somebody who was there for her. Um, and miracle upon miracle, when she told me that she was engaged and getting married, I said, I'm happy for you. You deserve to be loved. And I'm sorry that I wasn't the person who was capable of giving that to you. That's on me. Um, and I've made an amends to her since uh, for past behavior. It took me a while to get there. So she was the catalyst that got me into this program because about, you know, five years into our relationship, she said, I think you have a problem. I'm like, yeah, I do. You're the problem. Um, and that wasn't what she was thinking. It was alcoholism. So, um, yes. So I called a friend of mine and came to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I had a really great, wonderful sponsor. Um, when he passed away, he gave me his 20 year medallion. I still have it today. Um, I didn't get a lot of work done with him because I was so close minded when I came into this program. I was defiant. I was obstinate. Um, what's that saying? Uh, I was an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. How can those two things exist in the same brain? It's, it's amazing. It's baffling. Um, but definitely, I was an egomaniac, meaning that I think about myself all the time, but I might not think about myself very highly. Um, I think that's a good way to sum it up. So yeah, I, I came into this program and I met Roy. Roy was my first sponsor and uh, God bless him. Pretty much all he ever said to me was let go and let God. Because <laughs> I think that's all I could handle to take. But I didn't like that advice very much either because I had a real issue with God. I was kind of pissed at God. Um, first of all, I'm gay. <laughs> and secondly, there's the childhood stuff, which I'd like us to you know talk about. Um, so I had a huge chip on my shoulder. And then I come to AA, you know, all I did was cry in the first few weeks of going to meetings because I'd see slogans and I'd see let go and let God and um, there, but for the grace of God, go I. And I think, man, I'm effed. <laughs> if this is what is, if this is the solution, I'm definitely effed because I don't believe in God. And the God that I do believe in, I feel abandoned. So how's that going to work? Um, and it worked slowly. It worked over time. I love that saying. Uh, it's not a slogan, but I've heard it said a lot. Time takes time. One of the, a lot of the slogans that irritated me, if you're new in early sobriety, a lot of the slogans that irritate you, you might come to love later on. Like I hated let go and let God, but now uh, it really has led me to acceptance. I really have a good understanding of acceptance today. And uh, yeah, so little, little slogans like that have really helped me. So what else has helped me? Um, I, love the, uh, I love the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Took me forever to figure out the things I could not change were you. <laughs> the only thing I can change in this life is myself, my attitude, and my thinking, and my outlook, and my perspective. And how do I do that? Well, one of the things is 
about ego reduction. You know, I take things to my sponsor and then I take into account the suggestions that he has given me based on his own experience as a person who has been sober longer than I have, as a person who went through the steps before I did. And I follow those suggestions. And the cool thing is, is that I didn't trust anybody because I wasn't trustworthy. And the relationship that I have with my sponsor was probably the first relationship built on trust that I ever had in my life. Um, that man would uh, later become the um, best man at my wedding. Um, I just recently celebrated nine years of um, clean and sober time. I haven't had a drink for 13 years. Um, but again, I'm stubborn and obstinate. <laughs> and I tried some outside issues when life got hard. You know, I'm always looking for an easier, softer way. Um, my character defects, they keep coming back. They keep rearing their ugly head. Uh, but thankfully, today, I have a solution. I can identify them. Before this program, I couldn't identify them. I didn't know what the problem was. I just thought life was hard and it sucked. <laughs> but today, <laughs> I realize um, life can be a struggle, but I don't have to stay in the struggle all the time. There are moments of joy and there are moments of serenity. And I have choices today, choices that I didn't have. You know, when I picked up that first drink uh, and put it in my body, the big book and my sponsor has taught me that that triggers an allergy. And then I don't have a choice. I don't have control. That's one of the things I had to accept. And I had a hard time accepting that. I cannot drink like a normal person. So what did I do? I had to change my thinking. I had to start looking at alcohol as what it was to me. It might not be this way for everybody, but for me, an alcoholic, it's poison. So today, I would no sooner pick up a jug of Drano and chug it back than I would a beer or a shot. Because they're the same. They will kill me. And I will have no control over the outcome once I put them in my body. So that's one of the things that I've learned in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, the other thing that I've learned is um, that I have a disease of the mind. The, the big book has so much information in it about who I am. Pages 60 to 63 are some of my favorite pages because it's like, oh, I finally know who I am. I'm that person who wants to control everyone. And I am deluded into thinking that if you all do what I want and behave the way I want and follow my script, life will be wonderful. And then sometimes I get that. And what do I want? I want more. It's never enough. Never enough. You know, when I, nine years ago, uh, when I got hopefully clean and sober for the last time, um, I was, I lost, my business was tanking. I was facing bankruptcy. I was facing homelessness. And, um, I had just come back into this program 
So I'm a month sober and all of that is going on. I don't know. I'm two weeks away from not knowing whether or not I'm going to have a home where I'm going to live. And what am I going to do now for the rest of my life? Because that's how I think in extremes. I didn't think one day at a time. It was like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Um, and uh, I'd call my sponsor. You know, a lot of my, my sponsees are like, oh, I'm sorry, I call you so much. Some don't call at all. You know, people say, how many sponsees do you have? I say about half because some of them are around and some of them aren't. Um, but oh, I'm sorry, I call you so much. I'm like, you have no idea how often. I called my sponsor, especially in my first few months of sobriety. So this was like call 15 of the day when I was stressing out about bankruptcy. And uh, he kept saying the same thing. Like, I don't know why I thought I'd get a different answer. And it was pray. Have you prayed? Have you tried to pray? So I would get down on my knees and I would pray. And I'd be like, dear God, please give me the strength to get through this situation. I am scared. Please take away my fear. Please help me. Those are some great and simple prayers. Please help me. Um, and you know, it, the cool thing was I had this guy who I'd bought this business off of and he tried to, um, you know, get it back for a, for a song. And I hung up on him in anger. And I said, I might as well go bankrupt <laughs> rather than accept that price. And then I called my sponsor and then I prayed. And I really feel that this is one of those cool, like coincident moments, which is more like a miracle than it is a coincidence. That guy called me back 15 minutes later and said, how much do you owe? How much are you in debt? And I told him to the penny. And he said, I'll pay that. Suddenly, I wasn't facing bankruptcy. But remember that disease of more that I'm talking about that I have? The moment I hung up the phone and I had that sense of relief for about five seconds. But the disease of my mind then said, damn it, Lisa, why didn't you ask for more? Why didn't you lie? You know, wow, you could have, now you, you have no money. Great. You're not going to be bankrupt, but you have $0 and no place to live and no job. But that's the thing about my disease. It is so much more than alcohol. My problem is not alcohol. My problem is the way I think and the way I behave and the way I react to life. And what this program has changed in me is I have learned to slow down just a little bit and I've learned to respond to life. Um, I've learned to pause. I've learned to pray. I've learned to ask for guidance and then take it. Usually I ask for guidance and if I don't get what I want, then I go to the next person and ask until I get what I think I want. Uh, but today I'm learning to take that advice. Um, if you're new, it doesn't happen overnight, and that's okay. And there are going to be times when you're going to wonder if this is the right course of action, if this was the right thing to do, because life continues to happen when we get sober. And sometimes the journey is difficult. But that's the beauty of Alcoholics Anonymous, this thing we call fellowship. We are here for each other. There's a paragraph in the big book which talks about we are like the people who have survived a shipwreck. People who would not normally mix. Look around the pictures on this screen. We are probably people who normally would not mix. When Tina and I were setting up this meeting, uh, a friend of mine who is Jewish helped us out with the technical side of some things. And I created this joke. And I said, what do you get 
when uh, a Jew, a Pentecostal, and a lesbian don't walk into a bar. You get a solution seekers beginners meeting. That's what you get. Um, I am so grateful for my recovery. I really am. You know, it's funny because there was a time when I hated AA. I hated everyone in AA. Um, I hated the fact that I couldn't drink. I was pissed off about that. I still wanted to be like other people. I remember calling my very first sponsor, Roy, and saying, hey, there's this thing I hear called de-alcoholized beer. And before I could even finish the sentence, he was like, nope, nope, <laughs> bad idea. I'm like, but, but, but. He's like, you're still trying to be like other people. You're an alcoholic. You're not a non-alcoholic. Non-alcoholic drinks are for non-alcoholic people. So that's not me. Um, I can have fancy juice and spritzers. That's what I can have. But no de-alcoholized anything for this cat. It makes me think that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm one of those people. And I'm not. I'm one of you people. And you know what? Today I am more than happy with that. Because being one of you people has made me feel better than I've ever felt in my whole life. I'm beginning to learn who I am and I'm beginning to like who I am. I like me today. Uh, the St. Francis prayer has been something that has helped me. Um, and when I first read that, I cried because I was so selfish and self-centered. I'm like, what? I don't, I want to be understood. I want to be loved. This is saying the opposite of what I want. Yes, yes, it is. But in learning to love other people selflessly and learning to give away and learning to love my ex-partner so much for the first time at the end of our relationship that I was able to wish her happiness and good fortune, I have a continued relationship with them today. I have a friendship. She calls me. She's a psychologist, by the way. Uh, she calls me for advice and suggestions when she's in a rough patch, when she is in rough going. Um, she thanks me for being a good co-parent to our child who has had many, many struggles. Um, there are so many good things. And, and I mentioned I got married. Um, I'm, uh, my wife and I have been together for seven years. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't have had that. Um, that's another funny story because I thought that I was uh, going to be alone forever after I let go of my ex-partner. Um, and I tried dating and it just wasn't working out. Dating apps did not work for me in sobriety. Um, and so finally I said, okay, God, I get it. I think you want me to be alone. So can you help me accept that? And three months later, my wife uh, and I met. And she chased me. That's right. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not ready to date. <laughs> then I called my sponsor. We went to page 169 and we did a whole other inventory. Um, and that's a, a topic for another day. I think I will finish there. Um, thank you so much for coming to a Solution Seekers Beginners Meeting. Uh, I'm so happy to see so many new people here. And uh, this is our speaker meeting day. 
Uh, so we do a speaker on Sundays and uh, they share for 45 to 50 minutes. Um, and then every other day, so the other six days out of the week, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, you guys get to share uh, in your talks. We do a topic every day out of the big book. Um, some days we read from Bill's story, more about alcoholism, uh, how it works. Uh, it's all there in the chat. If you want to see it, please save our login information and come join us again. I hope to see you soon. I love you all. Thank you so much for letting me share my experience, strength, and hope. Hey, thanks, me, for being our third speaker in our podcast speakers series on Two Sober Chicks. Join us another time on any of our regular episodes where Julie and I hang out and share our thoughts and feelings on recovery.